to FDL drive stable. Radiation levels normal. Oxygen levels no normal. Could you take your eyes off the controls for 10 seconds and concentrate on the game? It's no fun winning this easily. Oxygen levels normal. There, done. Now, it's my turn. Tell me you're not going to do this for the whole trip. The regulations are clear, sir. Tondra, if something unfortunate happens, believe me, we'll know about it. I've visited gardens like these at a chateau in France, but we're definitely not on Earth. The leaves are all wrong. Yes, I'd come to that conclusion myself. Really? Mm. Oh, yes. But well done for working it out, too. All right, then. If you're so clever, Doctor, mm? how about you tell me where we are? It could be any number of places. <laughs> it's not as though formal gardens are limited to any particular time or place. In other words, you don't know. Well, let's just enjoy the walk, shall we? I'd have thought you'd be glad to land somewhere peaceful. I am. I wouldn't mind taking a few cuttings, too, but I'd rather ask if it was okay with whoever owns this place first. Well, there doesn't seem to be anyone around. I'd noticed. But this sort of garden must take a small army to maintain. Oh, perhaps it's their day off. Or someone likes their privacy and we miss the no entry on pain of death sign. <laughs> There's no sign. Oh, oh hello. <clears throat> We didn't realise there was anyone else here. We were just admiring this beautiful garden of yours. I'm the Doctor and this is Perry. Hi. I see. I wasn't expecting visitors. Uh, this is quite extraordinary. May I ask how you got here? Oh, the usual way. Which is? We landed. In a spaceship? That's right. I see. Well, where are my manners? I'm Zafira Valtris. Ah. Very pleased to meet you both. <laughs> I was about to have some tea in the pagoda. Ah. It's not much, but you're welcome to join me. Well, that sounds lovely. Thank you. Well, come on, Perry. What's happening? What do you think I'm trying to find out? I don't see any system malfunctions. No, but there's been an internal security breach. Where? Uh, found it. Prisoner's cell. It's been locked. It's supposed to be locked. It's supposed to be locked from the outside. Now it's locked from the inside too. She can't get out and we can't get in. What'd you do that? No idea. But we'd better get down there and find out. Whatever she's doing, it's not going to be good news. You've got such a great variety of plant life here. Is it all indigenous? Uh, to the planet, yes. You've an interest in flora. I'm a botany student. Ah. I designed part of this garden, but it's only ever been a hobby for me. Oh, I remember there being a lovely botanical garden a few hundred kilometres north of this one. There were plants from all over the Empire there. There used to be, anyway. Well, what happened to it? If you believe the rumours, the Emperor blew it up in a fit of pique. But I wouldn't want to speak ill of our beloved Sovereign. <laughs> What's happening? Is that an earthquake? No, Perry, I don't think so. The ship's jumped back to normal space, but we're not moving. If this is an escape attempt, shouldn't she be setting a new course? Not if she expects another ship to come and pick her up. It's not just navigation, Sue. I can't access anything. We're locked out the whole computer system. 
We're on a spaceship. That's right, Perry. And that felt like we just made an unexpected leap from hyperspace to normal space. You didn't know we're on a spaceship. One usually knows where one lands, Doctor. <sighs> Not when one's traveling with him, one doesn't. Hmm? What about all this? You can't tell me this whole garden is all on a ship. I mean, that horizon's got to be miles from here. It's a holosensory recreation. It's meant to make my incarceration more tolerable during the long days between prisons. Prisons? Yes, Doctor. This is a prison transport. And I'm the prisoner. Ah. Don't worry. I'm not dangerous. Well, you would say that. What did you do? Deposed the Emperor. Not a very successful deposition if you ended up in here. It was completely successful, Doctor. I ruled this empire for almost ten years, and the life of every citizen was the better for it. I take it not everyone agreed with that assessment. Unfortunately not. I was betrayed by people who cared more for glory and titles than the good of the empire. And with their support, the emperor was able to regain the throne. Well, you're still alive, at least. Oh, yes. Executing me would set an unfortunate precedent. He's my cousin. You see, one can't be seen to be executing members of the Imperial family. It might give the common people ideas. I guess democracy hasn't really caught on here, has it? What? Ah! My jailers have arrived. Oh, they don't sound very friendly. No. And they're going to be quite unhappy with me for the engine sabotage. As for you two, whatever I say, they're going to believe you're a party to it. Please tell me that doesn't mean they're going to shoot us. I'm terribly sorry. Open the door, Valtris. I swear, if you don't unlock this thing, we'll blow it up. Sir, I doubt she can hear you. Get the comms working, then. I can't, sir. Even the non-essential systems are frozen. How's that pulse cannon looking? You got it working? Or has she shut that down, too? No, sir. It's ready. Right. Cannon targeted. Target acquired. This ought to be a very satisfying explosion. Officer Loris. Laris. Officer Tondra. What a pleasure to see you both again. Quiet, Valtris. That's really no way to speak to your Empress. Not in the mood. Mum, please raise your hands slowly. That's much more pleasant. You see, Laris? Laris! Respectful while still refusing to acknowledge that I was anointed and crowned. Who are you two? How did you get in here? I'm the Doctor and this is Perry. Hi. So away, sir. And almost certainly complicit in the sabotage. Now, hang on a minute. We didn't... Regulations regarding stowaways on Imperial prison transports are clear. Summary execution. Sandra, this is not They're the from Imperial intelligence, you fools. I don't think my cousin will be too happy if you shoot two of his agents. They don't look like agents to me. No one should have been able to get into this cell without us knowing about it. Exactly. Unless they had higher authorization, of course. That doesn't mean I believe you. It means you've bought a few minutes to explain yourselves. So, agents, what are you doing in here? Well, before you decided it was a good idea to put a large smoking hole in the door, we were interrogating the prisoner. Oh, and I suppose she's told you what she's done to the ship. We've been locked out of the computer system and the engines are dead. Well, I'm delighted to hear everything's going to plan. 
If you'll excuse me. Let go of me, officer. What are you doing? Where's she gone? Why is she taking your accomplice? Well, how should I know? Isn't the security here your responsibility, officer? You should be telling me where my friend is and how you're going to get her back safely. Listen to me, Doctor. I'm responsible for seeing that Safira Valtris arrives at her next prison. Whoever you and that woman are, you are getting in the way of me doing my job. Well, at the moment, I care rather less about your job than I do about what's happened to Perry. Either your friend is in league with the prisoner or she's been taken hostage. Either way, we find one, we find the other. Well, that was a short-range teleport, so they must still be on the ship. How big is it? Not big. Only about five kilometres, end to end. Five kilometres? Well, we'll have to locate them by conducting an internal scan. But I told you we locked out of our computer systems. Yes, well, maybe I'll be able to help with that. Oh, first an Imperial agent and now a computer engineer. I have dabbled. Well, what harm can it do to let me try? Either I succeed and you regain access to your computer, or I fail and you've lost nothing. All right, Doctor. We'll take you to the bridge. But move slowly. Just one question first. Make it quick. Perry, will she be safe with this Safira? That woman has bombed whole planets into dust to get what she wants. So, no, I shouldn't think so. Now move. What just happened? Where are we? Another part of the holosensory recreation. This was my palace library. I imagine something terrible's happened to the real one by now. My idiot cousins probably burnt all the books. If all this is just holograms, can't those soldiers shut it down whenever they like? Not anymore. I've got control of the ship and this projection. Thanks to an appallingly large bribe and one highly unscrupulous electrical engineer. The doctor, he, he's still with those two prison guards. I'm sure he's fine. People tend to get very paranoid at the mention of Imperial intelligence. We're not intelligence agents. I know. Then why did you say we were? I didn't want to see you killed on my account. And though I'd dearly love to know who you are and how you really got here, I've rather more pressing concerns. Hey, this book's about you. Ah, oh, yes. That one was published during my cousin's second reign. Propaganda to discredit me. Well, what's it doing in your library? It's important to know what your enemies think of you and what they want other people to think of you. Even the unflattering things? Especially the unflattering things. It sounds like you started a lot of wars. I started one war, Perry. It just went on rather a long time and spread across a few dozen worlds. Perry, would you mind checking these books? Sure. Am I looking for anything in particular? Certain components were concealed within this projection. I was told they would be hidden inside one of these volumes. Unfortunately, they neglected to mention which one. What exactly are these components for? To enable my escape. Of course. Uh, I think I found them. Can you fix it or not? I don't know! You're going to have to give me some more time. Doctor, we're dead in space. I've got to assume that there's a ship on its way to collect the prisoner, so we have to get out of here as soon as possible. Then I suggest you be quiet and let me concentrate. We're stalling, sir. 
giving Valtris's rescue ship time to arrive. Oh. If you think we're wasting time, feel free to go and search for the prisoner, Tondra. There are only about 500 different places she could be hiding. Very well, sir. Oh, there's something not quite right about all this. Isn't that what you're meant to be fixing? No, that's not what I mean. This computer system of yours isn't locked down. It isn't there. There's a very complicated lockout, but no actual system underneath. It's, it's like this computer is just an empty box. Don't be ridiculous. The lights are on, the oxygen's flowing. If we've got no computer, how is everything still working? Oh, that's a very good question. My game's gone. What? I left it there. There's a cube about the size of my hand, lots of flashing lights. Ah, it, it was new, this game? Yeah. You'd only just brought it on board? So? Of course. It's the one detail she wouldn't know about. What are you talking about? This isn't your ship. This is all a hollow sensory simulation. We're still in the prison cell. When we walked out, we didn't walk back onto the real ship. We walked out into another part of the simulation. So what do we do now? We have to find the real way out. Come on, back to the gardens. I hope I remember how to put one of these together. It's been a while. What is it? A gun. Oh, great. Just in case of emergencies. That's hardly reassuring. If it makes you feel any better, it also contains a communications device which will let me see what's going on in the rest of the ship. That looks exactly like the hole I blew in the cell door. Well, of course it does. She must have reconstructed it in perfect detail. Now, this is... Definitely the right palace garden. I mean, what if that wasn't the door we left through and we got into another projection or a projection of a projection or a projection Don't of a projection of a projection? Think about it. You'll only give yourself a headache or worse, you'll give one to me. How do we get back to the real ship? I only see the exit we came through. The real exit has to be here somewhere. Now, do you remember where you were standing when you came in? Yeah. Now, I came through here just on the edge of the grass. Really? You sure? Go and stand there. Think back. Uh, maybe, maybe I was a few steps to the right. We'll take a few steps to the right then. My foot, it's vanished. Just step back and it'll reappear. Oh, there, you see? That, Officer Laris, is where our exit is. Ah, a slight problem. It looks like my jailers have discovered my little ruse. Your friend, the doctor. How is he with computers? Terrible. Doesn't know the first thing about technology. He's got this phobia about computers in particular. Keeps thinking they're trying to take over the world. You're not a very good liar. Look, we've got nothing to do with this. Please don't hurt him. I don't intend to, Perry. I've been shunted from planet to planet, prison to prison for seven years. All I want is my freedom. Is that all? Or are you going to start another war once you're out of here? You don't know my cousin. So long as he can squander his days devising fanciful entertainments, he leaves the actual ruling to his officials. And all they're concerned with is accumulating wealth and power. Of course. You're not at all interested in those things. I won't deny I enjoy them. But I care about the people of this empire and delivering them from hardship. What would your cousin say if someone asked him about you? After he'd finished the incoherent ranting, 
he'd say that I was a jumped-up general who didn't know her place. I'm doing this for my people, Perry, for their salvation. You don't know anything about the situation. I know that in wars, a lot of innocent people always end up dead. My game! Right where I left it! Then I think we can safely say this is the real McCoy. Yes, that's one like it. Now, let's see if I can get these computers working again. This isn't good. Well, actually, I think I'm making some progress. Nah, not that this. Hmm? We've still got sensor data coming in. There's a blip on the edge of scanning range. Looks like a warship. No identification signal. Well, maybe they haven't spotted us. Maybe they're just passing by. No such luck. Uh, they're on a direct course. It has to be Valtus' rescue ship. If we're lucky, we've got about 20 minutes until they arrive. Well, I'm not sure that's going to be enough time. Well, do something. Uh... Right. I've managed to gain access to your communication system. If there's anyone you can contact for help, now's your chance. I suppose there might be an Imperial patrol nearby. There. I've sent an emergency call requesting military assistance. Yeah. Now for a word with Valtris. Valtris, can you hear me? Valtris? Officer Loris, so you found your way back to the bridge then. Got some control of the ship back. Well done. I suggest you surrender, Valtris. I've summoned an Imperial flotilla to these coordinates. Even if you have, they won't get here before my ship does. The Doctor did this. Those two haven't the skills or knowledge to unlock the computer systems. So who are you people? Why are you here? I told you. We're just travellers. Who happened to show up the moment I tried to make my escape? I'm telling you the truth. We're not on anyone's side. No. The doctor can help my captors. You can help me. I think I can get some visuals from inside the cell now. Yes. We can see how Valtris and your friend are doing. Thank you, Laris. Not a problem. Here we go. You're coming with me to the airlock, Perry. You could just let me stay here. What do you need me for? Unless I'm a hostage. Let's not make this any more unpleasant than necessary, Perry. Don't move. Either of you. Put that gun on the table, Veltris. Slowly. Officer Tondra. You intend to kill me? Oh, you have no idea how much I've longed for this moment. I'd arrange for you to expire in an unfortunate accident. A life support failure, but this is so much better. To shoot you attempting to escape. To look you in the eyes, I pull the trigger. It's more than I'd ever dared hope for. I am a member of the Imperial family and the Emperor's cousin. If you harm me, you will suffer. Your family will suffer. Not much of a threat, Majesty. My family is dead. Killed when you bombarded my home world. That must have been such a long time ago. So, do you feel good now your revenge is finally at hand? Do you imagine my death will give you peace of mind? It won't. What you're feeling now, it will never get any better. She's right, Tondra. Killing is never the answer. 
it just leads to more revenge. More killing, more people suffering like you have suffered. I don't care. I don't care! I've had enough people point guns at me to know when they're capable of pulling the trigger. You're not a killer, Tondra. Put it down. No. <laughs> then shoot me. Go on. Get it over with. You want your revenge? Then kill me. I... That's it, Tondra. Lower your weapon. Now, we can... Oh! Talk. Is she dead? No, just unconscious. I should probably kill her while I have the chance. You can't be serious! If we had time for a trial, the penalty would be execution. But there hasn't been a trial. You, you can't just shoot her in cold blood. No, no, I, I suppose not. This is General Akros calling the Empress Sephira. Do you read me? I'm here, Akros. What's your status? Majesty, we're about to dock with the prison ship. But an Imperial flotilla has just jumped into this sector, closing fast. Estimate 15 minutes until weapons range. Mm, continued docking procedure. I'll be at the airlock shortly. Valtra's out. All right, Perry. We're leaving. Try not to do anything stupid. Or what? He'll shoot me? If you refuse to cooperate, yes. And where do you think you're going, officer? Where do you think? The prisoner's escaping. My colleague's been overpowered. I have to stop her. Did it escape your notice that she's holding Perry hostage? Oh, I'm sorry about that, Doctor, but my first duty is to stop Valtrys getting off this ship. And I think I have a way to do that. Sit down. Doctor, I really don't your think this is... Your computer game, if you please. Ah, there. Hey! Do you know how much that cost? Whatever it was, it came cheap. It may be about to save your life. Pry that access panel off, would you? You may not have control of your ship's computer, but this is a rather sophisticated little game you've got here. With a small amount of ingenuity, I should be able to link it into your ship's computer and use it to get access to some of the other systems. Better hurry up, Doctor. That was the rebel ship docking. Majesty, the Imperial Flotilla is almost within weapons range. We can't raise our defence shields while we're docked. We're approaching the airlock now. I'll be with you momentarily. Valtra's out. Do you really think the other ships are going to let you get away? I wish them the very best of luck in stopping me. After you, Perry. Into the airlock. Take your time, please. No sudden movements. What the... We're back in the palace garden. We're still inside the hologram. What? Oh, I see. This is your friend's work, isn't it? Very clever, Doctor. You may have trapped me in my cell, but I still have a ship out there. But you can't make it to your ship before that flotilla starts firing on it, though, can you? No. I can't. But I can still make a fight of it. Is that what you want? You start firing on that other ship and they'll fire back and people will die. This escape of yours, no one was meant to get killed, were they? You said all you wanted was to get away. So, what 
should give up. Surrender? Yes! If you don't want anyone to die today, you have to. Throw everything away? Everything I've worked for? Just like that? Ask yourself, how many lives is your freedom worth? How many people have to die? How many deaths do you want on your conscience? I don't know. It's like you said to Tondra. She wasn't prepared to kill, and I don't think you are either. You're right. This was meant to be a bloodless escape, and now... Across. Abort mission. Return to base. Do not engage the enemy ship. Majesty, are you certain? You heard me. Abort. Get your ship to safety. I'll contact you when I can. Valtra's out. This is the Empress Sophira to Officer Laris. I offer you my surrender. That's most of the damage from your pulse cannon repaired. One prison cell back in working order. Thank you, Doctor. Hmm. I've put Officer Tondra in one of our less lavish cells. What's going to happen to her? Oh, that's for the course to decide. They might very well conclude she's a hero for what she tried to do. But this incident will still be considered a political embarrassment. Someone is going to pay for it. If you're not careful, Laris, that someone will be you. So, let me help you. Help me? How? If you allowed me to go free, my supporters would be grateful. They'd make sure you and your family were protected. Your supporters are only interested in stirring up another revolution. And I could stop them if you released me. I can't negotiate a peace settlement while I'm a prisoner. Think about it. I'll be in the library when you've decided. Hmm. You're thinking about it, aren't you? Hmm. She could be right. If she was free and willing to talk peace. I hope she means it. From what I saw today, I, I think she does. Well, at the moment I've got an Imperial flotilla insisting on sending a squad on board. I'm sure they'll want to talk to you. I'll have to ask you to stay in this cell for now. You are still technically stowaways, after all. Not a problem, officer. Bye for now. Harry, you know we never did get to the centre of that hedge maze. The hedge maze? Hmm. That would be the one with the blue box parked somewhere inside it? Yes, that's the one. Come on. With my infallible sense of direction, it shouldn't take as long to find it. No? No. No more than a couple of hours at most.
Going on. The launch chamber must be through here. We'll need to crack the security code. Now that's something I do know how to do. The pods are getting closer. Quick! Standard technology for mid-period Gamma 9. So are we... Down! Ah! Too late. Oh, we're going to die. Not yet. I cracked the code. Well, don't just stand there like a startled letterbox inside! The bomb's through there, but the launch computer should be located in this room. Bomb? Launch computer? If I only had some idea what she was talking about. We have 90 seconds to stop that bomb being launched before the droids get through the door. Launch computer. Ah, here we are. Can you stop the launch? Well, of course I can stop the launch. Ah. Did you stop the launch? Afraid not. Self-destruct mode kicked in to prevent reprogramming. Well, what are we going to do? Only one choice left to us. Go directly into the bomb chamber and stop it at source. But that will be incredibly dangerous. Yes, it will. Up this service ladder. Come on. Uh, ah. uh, they've broken through. Before we go in there, I have to ask you a few questions. One, who are you? Two, where are we? And three, what are we doing? Not at all. I have absolutely no idea what's going on. Oh! oh, Doctor! You said you were going to stop the bomb, but you're just another patient! Oh! <sighs> if only I had some idea who she was! I was a senior med in a city hospital, dealing with standard war victims. But then, seven years ago, the patient turned up, the survivor of a crashed shuttlecraft. I see, yes. What's this, a time jump? Are you all right, Doctor? Perfectly well, thank you. Perry, there you are. So, definitely a time jump. We'd never seen symptoms like it, but I was convinced that if we could only work out what it was he was suffering from, it would somehow give us an advantage in the war effort. Malin, has the war been going on for a long time? Almost a century. So many generations lost. We must do anything we can to stop it. I persuaded the War Council to fund our study of the patient and to assign us a research lab on one of the outer islands. Oh, can you describe the patient's symptoms? I can do better than that, Doctor. I'll show you. He's inside this isolation chamber. If you look through the viewing screen... A baby! The patient's a baby! For the moment, yes, but if you watch... A toddler! Accelerated chronology. Fascinating. And something to do, no doubt, with my own distorted chronology. 
A teenager now. He's in distress. Can't you go in and comfort him? The risk of infection would be too great. And you found no underlying cause for the patient's condition? Professor Standing and I have devoted the last seven years to this study. Yeah. Nothing. It's completely beyond our understanding. But possibly not beyond mine. You really think so, Doctor? Yeah. As well as being the worst-dressed man in all of time and space, the Doctor is also the most brilliant. Look at the patient now. He must be 90. That's about the end of his span. But doesn't that mean he's about to die? Well, I don't want to watch this. Die, I wouldn't be so sure, Perry. A baby again. Uh, accelerated chronology coupled with a time loop. Malon, has there been any experiment with time technology as part of your war? Nothing so far. Our scientists say that maybe in 50 years or so... I need to go inside that chamber and question the patient myself. If I can work out what's wrong with him, maybe I can work out what's wrong with me. You can't go in there. The risk of chronological infection would be... Is minimal. I'm a Time Lord. Chronological infection? Is that what I'm suffering from? Doctor, I won't let you go through there. Oh, we better open the door. The Doctor always gets what he wants. How did you two get in here? This is a high-security compound. We landed here, in the TARDIS. Ah, another time jump. Presumably to an earlier point in time. If your enemy spies, I'll shoot you without a second thought. We're not spies. Or enemies. Are we, Doctor? Mm, no, no. Put the gun away. The TARDIS detected some time distortions at this site, and, and the Doctor wanted to investigate. Time distortions? Well, of course I wanted to investigate. Uh, now then, tell me about these, um... So it's true, Malon. I couldn't believe my eyes when I saw it on the scanner. Intruders. Ah, this must be the first time we met. I'm just questioning them now, Standing. Before the security droid killed you. Why waste time with questions? And before Malon showed me the patient. Shoot them straight away. No! Obviously they're here to gather information about the patient. Well, if you're not going to do it, I will. Prisoners 1 and 2, under the Terms of War Protocol, I declare you spies, and as such, subject to summary execution. I recommend you close your eyes Wait! I... Wait! Malon, your patient. I think I know what he's suffering from. Quick! Malon! Oh, I can't go any faster. My leg! The TARDIS is just around the corner! Doctor, you're key! Yes, of course! What's wrong with me? Charming. Standing's not a bad person. Is that why she shot you in the leg? Generations of war. It changes you. Malon, I now consider you a traitor. Surrender or be shot. She can't. No, she sounds pretty determined to me. Get back. What is it? She's in front of the TARDIS. Standing got there first. But your machine is the only way we can get to the satellite and stop the chronon bomb. Another piece of the jigsaw. But I still can't see the whole picture. Think, Doctor, think. I'm going to talk to Standing. We were very close for several years. She'll see sense. No, Malon. She means what she says. She'll... Standing! Listen to me. Malon, I... under the terms of war protocol, I declare you a traitor. What? And as such, subject to summary execution. No! I advise you to close your eyes... No!
shoot you too. What, what now, Doctor? We can't get to the torches. What are we going to do? Oh, Perry, I wish I knew. Too many questions, not enough answers. Doctor? Hello there, little fellow. Time jumped again. Right to the patient's bedside. Aren't you a pretty baby? Doctor, I'm monitoring the situation closely. Mm -hmm. And if there's any danger, please leave the isolation chamber as soon as I ask you. Understood. Good luck, Doctor. Perry, someone of my capacious intelligence is hardly in need of luck. Oh, there we are, little fellow. You're growing up fast, aren't you? I'm the Doctor. What's your name? I'm Trobe. Do you know why you're here, Trobe? Because I'm poorly. You have a chronological condition. Time sickness. Why is that? I don't know, Doctor. But I think you do. Tell me about the bomb and the satellite. I don't know what you're talking about. Well, is it a chronon bomb? Well, is it? Go easy with him, Doctor. He's only a kid. Yeah, for now, but not for very much longer. <laughs> Teenager now, see? Trobe, tell me about the time experiments. Don't want to talk to you. Hate you. Get out of here. You are caught in a time loop of accelerated chronology. I want to cure you. But I can only do that if I understand what caused it. I need you to tell me what you've been exposed to. So if you just start with the occasion... No! Doctor, he's entering the aggressive phase of his cycle. Get out of there! Not until he tells me everything he knows! Won't! Where am I now? Bomb launch chamber. Doctor, you need to find a way to stop that thing firing. By brute force, if necessary. I wouldn't do that if I were you. And why not? Meddling with a bomb just before it launches is a dangerous business. But particularly when it's a chronon bomb? Hmm? Yes. This bomb, which is going to launch in 43 seconds, is a bomb which will scramble the enemy's chronology and so enable you to win the war. Am I right? Doctor, come out of the launch chamber. It's too dangerous. Dangerous? Why is that? Maybe because if I do this, I risk causing a time leak and exposing us both to chronological infection. Yes, yes, Doctor, it's a chronon bomb. Please don't harm yourself or me. Uh, Let the bomb launch. Let it end the war. I can't do that. I'm already suffering a temporal sickness. I'm jumping backwards and forwards on my own continuum, trying to work out what's going on with the patient and the bomb and you. As far as I'm concerned, I've only just met, which tells me that at this moment I must open this bomb casing, I must cause a time leak, I must make myself suffer time sickness, otherwise, why else would I... No! Be? No! no. Well, I can't let you do that, Doctor! The bomb must launch even if it beats killing you! That's the problem with accelerated chronology, Trobe. From the vigour of youth to middle age spread in just a few seconds. Now, why don't you tell me about the chronon bomb? 
Please, I want to cure you. Everything I've done, I've done for the glory yes, yes, of Yes, yes, too late for jingoism now. All right, Doctor. Yeah. Eight years ago, a chief scientist called Warmer asked to meet the War Council on a matter of great urgency and utmost secrecy. He developed the technology for a bomb that could scramble time. Not entirely. He was at the very beginning of his experiments. But he saw that if we could destroy the enemy's chronology, wreck their continuum, then the war would finally come to an end. The Council were concerned that his research should happen in total secrecy. So just Warmer and I were dispatched to a deserted satellite station to research the time bomb project. All went well at first. Great progress was made, but then... Chronological illness. I hadn't anticipated at first how exposure to time modulation would affect me. I began to suffer from time-related symptoms, minor at first. I, I warned Warmer that he should stop the experiments. But he's a very determined man. Yes, I think I already met him in the bomb launch chamber. The bomb launch chamber? How, how is that possible? I'm not altogether sure, but I'm beginning to understand. Please continue. Uh, as my condition grew worse, Warmer locked me away. Uh, but one day, using my short window of adulthood in my time loop, uh, I managed to get into a shuttlecraft and... Uh, All right, Doctor. Time you came out of there. Standing! How nice of you to join us. I'm just finishing a very illuminating chat with Trobe. I know. I've been listening to the whole thing with Professor Malon and your friend Perry. We've had a disagreement. I'm convinced that the Cronon bomb's the only way to win the war. And Malon disagreed. So things became agitated. Doctor, Malon's been shot in the leg. Find a cure for me, Doctor. Please, free me from this time loop. I will, Trobe, I promise, and cure myself, because I've also contracted a chronological... And so it goes full circle again. All right, standing, I'm coming out there. Who are you? Speak now or I'll have the security droids execute you. Weapon capability enabled. Ah, this must be the first time we met. I'm the Doctor, and I presume you must be warmer? How did you get onto this satellite station? A shuttlecraft would have been detected. Honest answers, Doctor, or they'll shoot. Taking aim. Oh, to be perfectly honest, how did I get here? Standing was guarding the TARDIS, she shot Malon, and then Perry and I headed back the other way, toward Trobe. So does that mean... All right, Doctor, I've waited long enough. Droids, prepare to execute... Wait, wait! Warmer, have you ever heard of a Pandora's box? No. Is it a weapon? Far worse. You use one Chronon bomb, Warmer. There is no Chronon bomb. You're lying! Use just one, and you'll change the entire course of history. However hard you try to stop them, others will get hold of your technology. Destroy their enemies, themselves, and eventually you. And then, what will have been the point of everything you're Doctor, trying to... Doctor! What? I said you wouldn't get away from me. Standing? How did you get here? 
followed you through the wormhole, of course. Wormhole? Wormhole? Yes, of course you did. Warmer, it's an honour to meet the great hero who will finally end the war. Are you here to save this man? Save the Doctor? No. The Doctor's a traitor who wants to... Traitor? Traitor? Why is every person in every galaxy I've ever heard use that word an idiot? You want to end this war, Standing? But Warmer is setting the universe on course for hundreds, thousands of far deadlier wars that will go on forever until all of time is destroyed. No! There'll be a way to limit access to the Chronon box. Once the war is finished... I've heard enough. The droids will execute you now, stand by. What? And thank you, Doctor. I was going to wait until I'd run the final tests, but you've inspired me to act more swiftly. I'm going to activate the Chronon Bomb now. No! Only I will be alive to witness the launch of my weapon. Droids, when I give the order, execute them. Both of them. Not me! Preparing for execution! You can't execute me! Uh. What's that? At a guess? I'd say an unstable wormhole very close to implosion. Run, Standing! But I want Warmer to understand! No! After Uh. them! They mustn't be allowed to stop the launch. The Cronon Bomb will be fired in seven minutes. Hello, Doctor. He remembers me. Hello again, Trobe. Doctor, quick! It's only a matter of time before Standing realizes we're not heading for the TARDIS anymore and comes after us with that gun! You said you had a plan! Something to do with the equipment you've rigged up to trope. A plan, yes. It must be something to do with the wormhole. Think, think. A plan. Well? Got it, yes. Trope's condition has created a high level of time distortion. That's the energy that the TARDIS detected and which brought us here. If I can harness that energy, I can create a wormhole which will allow me to make the temporal spatial leap into the heart of the satellite and prevent Warmer's time bomb project. Oh, that's brilliant! Will it work? It has to work, Perry. It's not only Trobe who's suffering from a time sickness. You mean you're going to age prematurely and then turn into a baby? No. My sickness has taken on a different form due to the fact that I'm a time lord and I already exist in a special relationship with time. So how has it affected you? I've become displaced in time. All these events that you've been experiencing in sequence have been to me like a jumbled dream. I've already been in the bomb launch chamber. I've already decided to expose myself to chronological infection. And so you've seen how everything turns out? Not everything. But enough to know you're going to be okay. (sighs) Doctor? Trobe, this could be dangerous for both you and me. Do you understand? I think so, Doctor. Channeling your chronological condition will place a huge strain on your body. Any unexpected surge of temporal emissions could be enough to kill you. Anything it takes to stop Warmer. I'd rather risk death than go on living like this. I understand. Ready to go, Perry? Switch on the equipment. Doctor, I'm not sure... No arguments, Perry! Do it! It's not working. It will, Perry. Only a matter of time. I know that much. Oh, there are certain advantages to suffering from time sickness. There we are. Look. See that little point of light? The wormhole starting to open up. It'll soon be big enough to take me to the satellite. 
How are you, Trobe? It hurts. I'll be as quick as I can. Oh. Here we are. Time I was on my way. Doctor. Oh, Standing, I was wondering when you'd turn up. Get out of there, Doctor. Or will I have to come in and drag you out? But, Doctor... Stand aside, Perry. I'll shoot you if I have to. Move! Better do as she says, Perry. Let her in. So, this is how you plan to get to the satellite. Then I'm coming with you. I wouldn't advise that. Advise? I don't think you're in any position to advise when I'm the one holding the gun. Ah, but I have something more powerful than a gun. Which is? Foresight. If you follow me to that satellite station, you'll be killed by Warmer's security droids. I don't believe you. You're walking towards your own death. Doctor, pain so great now. Not sure how much longer. Perry, if I'm not back in nine minutes, switch off the equipment. Do as I say. Any more, and it'll kill Trove. You're not getting away from me that easily, Doctor. I can't let you do that, Doctor. The bomb must launch even if it means killing you. Doctor, no! There, I've stopped the launch. <laughs> but you've ripped off the core casing, which means you've released huge amounts of temporal energy. It was the only thing. It's starting. Chronological destruction. Can't stand it any longer. Try to hold on, Trobe. The doctor won't be much longer. I hope. We've got to give the doctor a chance to get back. The wormhole's closing. Nine minutes. Almost done. Come on, doctor. Come on. Yes! The doctor's coming back, Trump. Just a few seconds more. Uh, oh! Switch it off, Perry! Switch it off! Oh! Doctor! Oh. Get out! Oh, what? Oh, 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 oh. Doctor, are you okay? Oh. Doctor? Doctor, say something. Please. Oh, no. Doctor. Tears, Perry? Oh, you really are like so many Americans prone to inordinate sentimentality. Oh. You're being obnoxious. Thank goodness. Back to normal. A little battered and beaten, but as you say, yes, back to my usual self. Is your time sickness cured? Yes, I think so. But how? The huge amount of chronological energy I release when I dismantle the bomb trapped Warmer in a perpetual time loop. I, on the other hand, appear to have been cured by the same release of energy. But wasn't that what caused your sickness? It was. Both the cause and the cure. The same event, experienced twice, cancelled itself out. Oh, that's the fascinating thing about distorted chronologies. They throw up the most incredible paradoxes. I, I think I sort of understand that. Doctor. 
trobe. That didn't happen before. He must be at least a hundred years old. Thank you, Doctor. Released. Time loop has stopped. And now I can... Is he dead? Yes. No more growing up, growing old, round and round, backwards and forwards. He got what he wanted. An ending. Come on, Perry. Time we were on our way. is an inconvenience. <laughs> Good heavens, Principal. I shouldn't think that kind of thing customarily forms part of your reading. On the contrary. A puzzle or two keeps the mind ticking over. You spend too much time amongst the Romans, Mariah. A little lighter reading might leaven them. I'm happy enough in the company of Cicero by Perry Medlock. What kind of a name is that? Back in the day, she was Susan Perry, an unmemorable young woman. No money, so it was either thrillers or marriage. I dare say thrillers have proven more financially rewarding than motherhood ever could. Oh, she was one of ours? It seems so. She's coming to tea next week, back in the country after a stint in California. I might have her address the undergraduates. You should come along. See what the modern woman is like. Not for me. Although I wish her every success with her uh, work. Such a shame she's obliged to write under a man's name. It's a man's world, Dr. Backhouse. Dr. Dalton, what do you want? I, I didn't see you at supper. 
You didn't see me because I wasn't there. Well, haven't you eaten? I am trying to work. That is our purpose here, is it not? Yes, but I don't think starvation is obligatory. No, but concentration is. I I'm sorry, I, I didn't mean to disturb you. I, I wanted to make sure that you were well. I, you've been very quiet these last few days. I have a great deal on my mind. You've not received another one, have you? I don't want to talk about that. Was there anything else, Joan? Well, there is something I... Yes? I can't help feeling you're avoiding me. Of course I'm not. I'm very busy and I want to be left in peace. You work too hard. I work because it matters. I could help, you know. Could you leave, please, Joan? All you have to do is say, you know I can help. It's quite impossible. It's not impossible. Think carefully, Ruth. There's a choice coming for all of us. You know you don't want to pick unwisely. You may leave now, Dr. Dalton. I have made my choices. I'll live with them. <sighs> nice enough for you, Perry? It's okay. I was expecting something more... gothic. Oh. I mean, sure, it's grand, but I thought these places were older. Medieval. Not the women's colleges. Oh, I see. Keep the girls out as long as you can, and when you do let them in, put them where you can't see them. Still, at least the clothes are practical, if a little tweedy. Tweedy? I'll have you know, this London drape suit is the height of fashion. I could grow to like it. Well, it makes a change from your usual explosion in a paint factory. I'll give you that. These energy readings are definitely stronger. And not what you'd expect from Earth in 1939? Assuredly not. From over in that block, I'd say. Hmm. I wonder if I can get a cup of coffee around here. Oh, really, Perry? Oh, Miss Perry, the porter said you were here. But, my dear girl, I wasn't expecting you for days. Ah! Uh, we caught an earlier train. Well, how marvellous. Welcome back to St. Ursula's. I see you brought a gentleman friend with you. You know, I, I think there has been a, a, a... Good gracious. You sound decidedly transatlantic. I suppose Hollywood might have that effect. Uh, Dear girl, I'm keen to hear your stories. And we have quite a story of our own. I think you might find it rather intriguing. Oh, uh, Come along. No, I... Tis for... Don't say a word. If we're inside, I can track down whatever's causing the energy anomaly. But she thinks I'm someone I'm not. Happens to the best of us. Now, don't you want to hear her story? No. Well, I do. You'll be fine. Play it by ear. Now, hurry up. Tease at four, promptly. What do they do to you if you're late? say, I wasn't entirely convinced by the scene near the end. The which? The denouement in the cathedral. Um, 
sorry it didn't work for you. Dr. Petherbridge, I entirely agree. I told Perry when I read it. Perry, I said, you have to earn a scene like that. Quite. But you have a story of your own, Dr. Petherbridge. Yes, indeed. Rather a sordid one. Oh? I must stress that I'm telling you this in the strictest confidence. Of course. I trust you implicitly. But I'm afraid I don't know your companion. What? Who, me? Oh, I assure you, ma'am, my lips are sealed. I'll hold you to that. <laughs> I'm, I'm almost embarrassed, but it seems that one of our number has taken it upon herself to express her distaste towards another of us in a most vicious and unappealing manner. What do you mean? A series of unpleasant communications. All anonymous. Poison pen letters? Indeed. Directed towards the same person? Who? The unfortunate Dr Horvitz. A gifted physicist, but one who suffered a great deal of personal misfortune. Such are the times we live in. Quite. But in a small community such as ours, these things can be corrosive. Have you spoken to the police? Good heavens, no. It's imperative this remains within college. Imagine what would happen if word got around. Those women, such harpies. That's awful. So you'll look into the matter while you're here? I'm not sure it would be appropriate. Nonsense, Perry. I'm always saying to her, Dr. Petherbridge, she needs to keep living life if her books are to maintain their freshness. Of course we'll take the case. Oh, great. It's not usual, you know, to have men stay. Oh, don't think of me as a man. Just the doctor. My dear man, we're all doctors. Oh. Think of him as my assistant. He's a dab hand at typing. Perry. We kind of come as a package, Dr. Petherbridge. Oh, very well. I suppose we can find a corner. But he's not to wander about, though. Hmm. You got that, Doctor? Don't go wandering off. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, I guess I ought to talk to Dr. Horvitz. And while you're doing that, what do you suggest I do? Make yourself useful. Go and type something. Does this take long? Uh, not long. The letters speak for themselves. May I see them? Miss Perry, they are not an edifying sight. Still, I might learn something. Fresh pair of eyes? Mm, very well. How long have you been getting them? About two months, maybe three. Three months? That's a long time. Have you kept them all? I threw the first two on the fire. It seems the most appropriate response. These are vile. These cartoons. Miss Perry, it may be your privilege to ignore such things, but any Jew knows that such outrages are quite commonplace. And they are not confined to those parts of Europe where Herr Goebbels now controls the airwaves. I'm sorry. If this is all you need, I'll get back to work. Sure. What, what is your work? It's very complicated to explain. And even then, I doubt you would understand. I bet. Can I keep the letters for a while? By all means. I hardly wish to have them in my possession.
There's definitely something going on over there. What on earth are you doing? What? And who are you exactly? Well, who are you? I'm Dr. June Dalton, ah. fellow of St. Ursula's, and I'm asking the questions. Who are you? I am the doctor. Yes, well, everyone hereabouts is a doctor. You don't happen to know anything about dark vacuum energy fluctuations, do you? No, I well, don't. Well, what use are you to me, then? I do know a great deal about theoretical strategies to stimulate full employment. Oh, an economist. Bad luck. Yes, a genuine misfortune. Mm. You haven't explained who you are and what you are doing wandering around a women's college. Well, I'm Miss Perry's assistant, of course. Ah, our famous scribe. You're her... What did you say? Her assistant. I'm quite the dab hand with the typewriter. Her typist? <laughs> Good grief. The revolution's finally begun. Uh, well, Doctor, whoever you are, allow me to accompany you back to your machine. Really? I can find my own way. I'm thinking of the undergraduates, you understand. They're so young, and reputation is such a fragile thing. Oh, very well. I'm sorry to disturb your day, Dr. Backhouse. I hope I can help. We're all appalled at this business and anxious to have the perpetrator exposed. All but one of you. I beg your pardon? Well, one of you has been sending the letters. Ah, well, whoever she is, the rest of us want rid. If word got out, this could destroy the reputation of the college. No wonder they withhold degrees from us. Such a womanish thing to do. Excuse me? Anywhere else it would be resolved with a simple fistfight. Not amongst women. You know, I'm not going to get into that. I, I started your book. Oh, yeah? Uh, which one? Last Trumpet. That's the one with the... The intrigues within the orchestra are very well observed. Oh, that one. Yeah, small groups of people can get intense like that, particularly when they're stuck together. Quite. I'm intrigued by your investigator. Dashing, aristocratics, somewhat tormented. Is this your ideal of virility, Miss Perry? Or does he play a part that you wish you might play if this world were fairer towards our sex? He's more complicated than that. So, you don't know any reason why Ruth Horvitz would receive this kind of attention? The reason's perfectly clear. Dr. Horvitz is a Jewess. I'm sorry? You mean she deserves these letters? No, I didn't say that. <laughs> I gather you've been in America. Europe has changed. We live in divided times. Some people would be happy to see us more divided. Have you spoken to Dr. Dalton? No, I haven't. When you do, ask her about her politics. Ask her whose side she's on. And the wretched woman marched me, marched me, back to my room and lurked outside until I started typing. Oh, I wish I'd seen that. Which one was it? That one, over there. Dalton. Thanks to whom, I found out nothing more about these energy readings. I have, however, decided to write a novel... Only a minor one, but at least a novel. So that's Dalton. I've heard a lot about her. Nothing good, I imagine. Well, no. Dr. Backhouse all but said she was a Nazi. Uh, Miss Perry, a word. Oh, shall I return to my typing? You may stay, Doctor. This concerns you. Hmm. Miss Perry, 
I must insist your companion exercises some restraint. What? What's he been up to? I only went for a walk. I must remind you that this is a women's college. <sighs> of course, Principal. Doctor, best you keep to your room from now on. And how, if I am banished to my garret, am I supposed to get on with investigating? We'll think of something. Could you quieten down, please? In Downing Street. This morning, the British ambassador in Berlin handed the German government a final note stating that unless we heard from them by 11 o'clock that they were prepared at once to withdraw their troops from Poland, a state of war would exist between us. I have to tell you now that no such undertaking has been received and that consequently this country is at war with Germany. Ghastly little man, Hitler. Oh, I suppose you'd prefer Comrade Joe Stark. Better him than Hitler, Mariah. Ladies, enough. We have our differences, yes. But beyond that is our duty towards the young women in our care. We must be mindful of what this means for them, for their fathers and for their brothers. I shall have no quarrelling at a time like this. I didn't realize. So this is how it all starts. Yes. This is a different world now, Perry. Are you going to play with that all night? I'm putting down my notes as any good detective should. What notes? Hmm? What have we learned? You've been holed up in here all day, and I've hardly spoken to anyone since the morning. As if they all suddenly have something else on their mind. Well, we've learned Dalton is a communist. Have we? And we've learned Backhaus isn't. How does that help us? I'm not sure yet, but it's interesting. And if it's interesting, chances are it's important. Miss Perry, are you there? Of course, come in. I'm very sorry to disturb you. Ruth, are you all right? C come sit down. What happened? S somebody came to my room. Came up behind me while I was walking. Miss Perry, they tried to kill me. So you're always here in the evening, Dr. Horvitz? I'm here all the time. Working? That's correct. So everyone in the college would have known to find you here. No big secret. Yeah. You were sitting at your desk. You didn't see your assailant enter. I was not at my desk. Ah. I was looking for some papers in the cabinet. My back was to the door. I heard the door open. I turned and I made a dash for it. You didn't see who it was? I didn't have time. Their face was covered, but I understood their intent. I left at once. Doctor. Yeah, almost off the scale now. Whatever is that? Oh, nothing. Dr. Horvitz, there's only one way out of this room. So how did you elude your would-be assassin? I was lucky. Lucky? If one is in fear for one's life, one gains a certain strength. I pushed past and fled. 
I see. Uh, Dr. Horvitz, uh, Ruth, this has gone beyond poison pen letters now. Has someone been hassling you? Was it Dr. Dalton? Dalton? What makes you ask me about her? Uh, we know about her political leanings. What did she do, Ruth? John was keen to recruit me. I said no, of course. Do we call the police, Doctor? As a matter of courtesy, we should leave that decision to Dr. Petherbridge. Oh, this is preposterous. You don't deny you attempted to suborn, Dr. Horvitz. Suborn is a rather loaded word. We know you approached her. Of course I did. I spoke to her about my beliefs. I attempted to discover whether she was supportive. Well, never mind that. Did you write those letters? Certainly not. What possible reason would I have? And so disgustingly cowardly. Well, perhaps you thought Dr. Horvitz's work might have some military application. Here's what we think happened. You tried to gain access to her work and she refused you, despite those horrible letters. So you tried to take her work by force. You remember we're at war with the Nazis, not the Soviet Union. I recall there's a non-aggression pact in place between those two powers. I'm sorry, Dr. Dalton. This is now a matter for the authorities. Principal, I have done nothing wrong. Operator, would you put me through to the police? I hope that's the last we hear of this. Miss Perry, Doctor, I'm grateful for your help and for your continued discretion. We wouldn't dream of breathing a word. I should speak to the fellows. Oh, what a dreadful episode. What's this I hear about Dr. Dalton? I'm glad to say Dr. Dalton is now in the care of the police. <laughs> no, no, not Joan. There's been a misunderstanding. Miss Perry, perhaps you could accompany Dr. Horvitz back to her rooms. This has been a most distressing evening for her. Come on, Ruth. Let's get some cocoa and get you to bed. Why do you think there's been a mistake? Is there something else going on? To do with your work? I... I can't speak about that. What is it? The door to my room is open. Well, don't you leave it locked? Grief. Someone's done a thorough job here. Everything is gone. Are you sure? Of course I'm sure. My notes, my work, everything all gone. Well, Dr. Horvitz, let me tell you what I know, and then you can consider whether you might offer me some explanations. I know you can't have escaped from your assailant via that door. I also know that something in this room is causing dark vacuum fluctuations that are almost off the scale. There is nothing I can tell you. Ruth, you can trust us. Honestly. When I was a girl, my grandmother gave me a family heirloom. A strange little object that refracted light beautifully. Imagine what a child made of such a thing. Ah, uh, yes, I think I begin to see. 
I was not the kind of child to call this magic. No, I've, I've wanted to understand. So I studied physics, in particular the properties of light, to better understand the nature of this gift. Well, do you still have a drawing of this artifact at least? I can sketch it. I found as I studied it closely that it had many unusual powers. Let me guess. Invisibility. Invisibility? You're very sharp. Mm. Only small items. The second door over there, through which I escaped earlier, is the largest area I've been able to conceal thus far. Here, this is what the artifact looks like. You. That's creepy. It's like an eye staring at me. Unsurprisingly, Perry, since that's what it is. An alien eye. Petrified, I imagine, to have survived so long. Not the only thing to be petrified round here. You found, of course, that the effect was temporary and unstable. Yes, most vexing. So if I tried now to touch the door you used to escape... Doctor, it's crumbling away! Not ideal for the applications you had in mind. No, not in the least. What do you mean? Think about it, Perry. The world is at war. The most mechanised, technologised war it has hitherto suffered. Imagine if an ocean convoy could conceal itself. Yeah. A fleet of aeroplanes, a whole invading army. Can you do that? No, but I will. One day. And in the meantime, you've attracted considerable attention. Not least from Dalton and her comrades. About Dalton. More news, I'm afraid. I called the fellows together, but one of them is missing. Dr. Backhouse is nowhere to be found. Could Dalton have got to her? No, wait, listen. A car was seen leaving college about half an hour ago. Pay attention. John Dalton tried to recruit me, yes. But it is not John Dalton that has been blackmailing me. And it is not John Dalton that threatened my family in Vienna with arrest and torture. John Dalton is a communist, yes. But Mariah Backhouse is a Nazi. And long gone. Dr. Petherbridge, I'm afraid we will need to call on the assistance of the police again. Um, left. No, 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 right. No, no, second right. She'll be heading for the coast. Any idea which coast, sir? Strange. Could the eye be losing some of its power? I guess we can leave this to the doctor and the boys in blue. Let's get that cup of cocoa going. I think we've earned something stronger. We can't lose power so quickly. Wait a moment. Of course, how inexpressibly, inexcusably, and quite uncharacteristically stupid of me. Turn the car round right now. What's that, sir? Backhouse isn't in that car. She's still at St. Ursula's. To a nasty problem solved. And without any scandal. I hope so. Something is troubling you. Just that... Oh. We found Backhouse very easily. I thought she'd put up more of a fight. Oh. Perhaps I'm over-worrying it. 
Miss Perry, there is someone else here. Nonsense. She's here. She's been here all along. She's using the eye to make herself invisible. Mariah, show yourself. Quickly, before she gets away. Where is she? Where did she go? Perry! Doctor! is still here. She's, she's using the eye. Yeah, I know. The readings are off the scale. Where is she? Any idea? Look, someone's gone into the chapel. She's in terrible danger. She's in danger? What about our girls? Dr. Backhouse, Mariah, this is pointless. There's no way past. The only way out is up. You won't get me. You can't get me as long as I have the eye. Steady now! Mariah, listen! You have to give up the eye! Never! As long as you have it, you're in mortal danger! <laughs> Ridiculous! It isn't safe! So, I should hand it over? Let the police take me? Forget the police! I'm trying to save your life! It's wartime! They'll have me! Well, if you don't give up the eye, they won't get the chance! Can't you feel it? Your hands shaking, your feet slipping. Uh, it's, it's wet, idiot. Go down if you're frightened. Mariah, it's the eye. The dark vacuum energy is affecting you on a molecular level. You're falling apart. You're lying. You're trying to frighten me. It's not a lie. If you don't want to hand the eye to me, then throw it away. Quickly, before it's too late. What's happening? I can't feel my legs. Help me, Doctor. I'm going to fall. I can't, unless you throw away the eye. Let me see your hand. No. Please. My hand. Where's my hand? Mariah. We've got to help her. Oh, oh. oh no! Is there anything we can do? <sighs> Too late. She's gone. But what's this that she was holding? Broken glass? I think. That's what's left of the eye. A ghastly end. If I hadn't seen Backhouse with my own eyes, or not seen her, I wouldn't believe it. And I'm afraid not only was she holding the eye when she, well, disintegrated, but that Dr Horvitz's notes were lost in the storm, blown away across the rooftops. What will this mean for your family, Ruth? I received a telegram earlier. They left Vienna before Vor was declared. They reached Paris yesterday and will soon be bound for Britain. Ah, good news indeed.
I guess that's what made Backhouse change her plan from blackmail to theft. She knew that she'd no longer have a hold over Ruth once she'd received news that her family was safe. Perhaps, Doctor, I should ask you, rather than Miss Perry, to address the undergraduates. Oh, Perry will do just fine. Must I? Mm. Ah, I'll have to get my notes first. Doctor, mm? maybe we should go back to the police box. You know, where I left my notes when I rang the police. Oh, yes. We won't be long. <gasps> police box? What police box? There isn't a police box anywhere near here. Where on earth did that pop up from? Right outside the college gates and without so much as a buy or leave. I shall have them remove it at once. the story of the very great mystery I had to solve. It was the greatest mystery in the world, and not a little mystery. I know lots of little mysteries. I do not know why my best friend Niall eats guinea pig food at school because it tastes horrible. I do not know why my dad's shop has a very rude sign on the front of it, and I do not know why our green rubbish bins are for rubbish that is mainly brown and our brown rubbish bins are for rubbish that is mainly green. That makes no sense at all, but I know they are all little mysteries, because no one but me is bothered by them. I have lots of little mysteries because of invisible rules, but I am also certain about one thing. I am certain I am very good at counting things, and I am very good at remembering things once I have counted them, and I know for definite that my father had 129 gnomes, he did not have 130. I know this for a fact. These are the gnomes that my dad had. One, there was a happy gnome with a grey beard, a yellow hat and blue trousers, and a surprised gnome with a grey beard, a pipe, a blue hat, and a red jumper. A surprised gnome with a cheeky grin holding a wheelbarrow. And that is all my dad's 129 gnomes. But when they were put in the van, I was counting them, because I can't help counting, and on the day after my dad vanished, there are 130 gnomes exactly. The day I counted the gnomes was a very different kind of day. My school was closed because it was a Sunday, and my mum was going out with her sister on a hen night in Canterbury, which wasn't at night, and not about hens at all though she did come back with a box of chicken and chips from the shop on the corner, which she dropped on the floor and cried. I get sad over dead animals sometimes, but only when they are just dead, 
like our cat, Percival, who got run over outside our house, and his guts were all over the road like sausages and string, but I have never cried over a fried chicken. So my dad took me to his work, which is House Proud, which is a big store that sells nails and lawnmowers and huge long planks of wood, and baths which you can't wash in because they are not attached to anything. Dad, your shop still says do it yourself on the front. You have not changed it. No, Michael, I told you many times... Do it yourself is a very rude thing to say. You must put a please on the end or something, because then you wouldn't offend Put customers. this jacket on. You're helping me today. But this is not my jacket. It says Johnson on it. Johnson is not my name. I know. Bob's not here, so you can wear his jacket. But what if they call me Johnson? They won't. But what if they do? They won't. But what if they do? Just go round the store and help the customers, okay? Hello. Uh, hello. My name is not Johnson, in case you're wondering. Okay. It's Michael Andrew Jennings, and I am 14 years, 8 months, 3 days, and 9 minutes old at the time of me telling you this. Oh, right. You're looking at candles. Yes, they're very nice. When you light them, they smell nice. Oh, really? Yes, really. I'll show you how they work. No, 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 that's fine, really. I really should. That is my job. To tell people my name is not Johnson and help customers. <laughs> Do not light candles in shops. That is an invisible rule. An invisible rule is a rule that no one tells you about until you break it. And then everyone gets cross and tells you you shouldn't have broken the rule, even though they did not tell you the rule. It is always a very important rule. My dad got very angry with me for breaking the invisible rule I didn't know about, and because I was wet and the alarm hurt my ears, I did that thing I do when I can't cope. I rolled up tight into a ball like a hedgehog and screamed until I didn't know where the alarm stopped and my scream started. Then dad's boss turned up and he folded his arms and he said he wanted a word with my dad. I had to wait in the car for a very long time, which I did not like because I just had my school books to read, which I did not read because I wasn't at school. After a very long time, my dad got in the car and said to me, Michael, you don't belong on this planet. Well, he might have said it in that kind of way, but he might have said it in a Michael, you don't belong on this planet sort of way. But I think it was the first way, because when you tell someone something important, like they're not from this planet, then it should be said in a proper way. Did you tell anyone at work about the gnomes? No, Dad, you said not to. You did, didn't you? No, Dad, the gnomes have always been our secret. I'd like to believe you, Michael, but I just can't. I've always wanted to trust you, but I just... I just can't. You've let me down too many times. Then we went home, and he rang Mum and got her to come home early from her hen night, so he could have an argument with her too. I wondered if Mum was telling Dad off for telling me that I was from another planet. Perhaps that's why I break all the invisible rules, because people who get born on Earth get born with the invisible rules all inside their heads. I went into the garden and sat with the gnomes, and that is when I counted the gnomes, 129. When I was allowed back inside the house, my dad was putting his fishing clothes on with his rod and his silly hat and his wellies. My mum said, Where do you think you're going? 
The pub, obviously. I suspected that he was not going to the pub at all. I suspected that he was going fishing on a boat in the sea with his mates my mum doesn't like. It was then I thought how like a gnome my dad looked with his silly hat and his fishing rod and his big wellies and I think that gave me a clue in solving the great mystery. I woke up because there was lots of phone calls and there were policemen at the door and my mum started crying about the chicken on the floor and Auntie Peggy turned up in a nightgown and drove me to her house, which I like because she has Sky on her telly and she eats cereals with chocolate on them. I stayed there for days and Auntie Peggy didn't even mention school, so neither did I, in case she had forgotten and I didn't want to remind her. When she drove me back to our house, there was a house-proud van outside and two men with Jones and McCann on their pockets got out and they put the gnomes in the back of their van very quickly and I counted the gnomes because I can't not count things and there were 130. That was the great mystery. Mum, where has Dad gone? Michael, I'm afraid he's died. Died. He was... He was on that dinghy in the papers. The one that tipped over. Oh. Are you all right, Michael? Do you want a hug? No, thank you. That doesn't make sense, really. People don't die when you're not looking. They do. Not on television. This isn't television. It doesn't make sense. It never does. Can you tell me when he's coming back? He's not coming back, Michael, I'm afraid. Or she might have said it like... He's not coming back, Michael, I'm afraid. I think she must have said it in a scared way, because the other way meant she was angry at me, which makes no sense. That night, I stood at my window and saw a man with yellow trousers creeping around in our back garden. Then a girl climbed over the fence and I could see her knees. Find anything? Nope. Just a pile of tires, a rusty engine and a really angry dog called Killer. Well, it was definitely this address. I stood there in the window for a very long time and thought they must be looking for the 130th gnome. So I stroked my chin, because that is what people do when they are thinking and making a clever plan. At the weekend, I went back to Houseproud. I went around the store looking for my dad, and then I saw all of his gnomes on a plastic bit of grass and a pond with bubble wrap pretending to be water. I worked out which gnome was the 130th gnome. Dad never owned one with a silver cap and a necklace round his neck that flashed blue. I knew that there was only one logical explanation. My dad had been changed into a gnome. I knew what I had to do. I bought the gnome with my pocket money and when I did I made Janice on the tills cry and I did not know why but that is a little mystery and I had a much bigger mystery to solve. I taped my interview with my dad, because that is what police do on television. Interview commencing at 11.26. Present in the room is Michael Andrew Jennings and Jeffrey Jennings, currently a gnome. Dad, are you alright? Don't be scared. I'm from another planet and people from other planets are very good at sorting things out. Interview terminated at 11.27. Hello, young man. 
And what's your name? Michael Andrew Jennings. Well, Michael, I'm the Doctor, and this is my friend Perry. Hi, Michael. Hello, Perry. You have a boy's name. Well, not exactly. Yes, exactly. I know two boys called Perry, but no girls, so it is exactly a boy's name. Very logical. We'd like to speak to you about your father. My father can't talk to you at the moment because he is in a shoebox under my bed, and so he is indisposed at the moment. Okay. Michael, get away from the door. I'll handle this. Hello, what is it? Sorry to bother you, but we need to talk about his father. Yes, I heard you. It's very important. You're from the council, aren't you? Social workers.、Uh, you can always tell. Madam, do we? Yes, we're social workers. Making sure everything's all right, okay, Doctor? Please, it's too early to talk about it with Michael. Jeff went fishing because he lost his job. He always used to go fishing before the shop made him work Sundays. Michael must have told someone about his gnomes. His gnomes? I don't want Michael to think it's his fault. Tell us about the gnomes, Mrs. Jennings. It's very important. He didn't exactly buy the gnomes. He took one or two, and then he got a bit carried away, mainly because Michael liked them when he was little. I told him he was spending too much money, but he said he had a staff discount. Once I found out, there were too many of them to get rid of. Michael must have said something to someone at work because his boss came round. He knew exactly where to go. I don't want Michael to think any of this was his fault. Madam, prepare yourself for a shock. Michael didn't tell anyone about the gnomes. He didn't. How do you know? We have reason to believe one of the gnomes informed on your husband. What? Or, to be more exact, the Clangragan of Genoi. We intercepted a message beamed from this location to a DIY store. It said, "Come to Twelve Arcadia Gardens and learn something about Jeffrey Jennings. Look in the back garden." It was broadcast on a frequency used by an alien life form, which closely resembles a garden gnome. I'm sorry. He gets like this sometimes. We have to find that alien. Now, if you're holding out on us, then you are being grossly irresponsible. The whole planet could be in great danger. If you change your mind, we'll be inside the telephone box at the end of the road. Why did you say that? Why did I say what specifically? You want me to be specific? Yes. Specifically, everything. We could have persuaded her, but as usual, you come out with all that stuff about aliens and the planet being in imminent danger. I never said imminent, but I confess I do like the word imminent, and I may use it next time. Interview resumed at eleven thirty-three. Present in the room is Michael Andrew Jennings and Jeffrey Jennings, currently a gnome. Dad, can you hear me? Yes, Michael. I can hear you. I knew it. I knew you were my dad. I solved a great mystery, and I rescued you. That was a very good thing I did. No, it wasn't, Michael. It was a bad thing. Ah,、uh, I think you'll find on reflection that it was a good thing I did. No, I wanted to go to the shop. It's important that you take me back, Michael. If I go back to the shop, I can go to a better place and make lots of new friends. No, Dad. 
If you go to the shop, you will be sold and end up in a strange garden and I won't see you anymore. Come with me then. But I have school. Don't worry about school. And Mum, she can come too? No, Michael. She can't come. But she has to come. She can't. She wouldn't like it. If we both go, she'll be on her own and she'll get even more sad. Michael, she can't come. But I want her to. No, Michael. You don't understand. She can't come and that is the end of the matter. I do understand, because I understand lots of things now, because I solved a great mystery. You're getting locked in my toy box until you find your manners. Over the next few hours, I listened to him shout. Then he stopped, so I opened it a crack, and he tried to grab me. Which isn't the way a responsible adult should behave. So I shook the box hard until he stopped shouting. I wondered about what I could do, and then I stroked my chin again and worked out a very clever plan. I bought another gnome and painted the hat silver and made it a blue necklace and put it in the shed window and I left the light on and waited for the man in yellow trousers to come back. Hello? Hello? Hello. Oh, hello again, Michael. I seem to be locked in this shed. I don't suppose you could help me out? I don't think so. That would be a waste of time. Well, I failed to see how it would be a waste of time. I just locked you in. It would be a waste of time if I let you out again just after I locked you in. I think you would agree that would be a waste of time. I agree. That would be a great waste of time. Exactly. I got you in my trap. It's a very clever trap. Oh, yes. Very clever. I saw you were looking for a special gnome. That was very clever of me. Very clever indeed. You are certainly a very special young man. I used to be special. But then they said that calling me special was rude, so now I'm not special anymore. I don't know how that works. It's an invisible rule. I don't like invisible rules. Oh, invisible rules are terrible. They're the bane of my life. I'm always breaking them. Me too. If the rules are so important, why not tell everyone what they are? Exactly. It would save a lot of bother. Yes, it is a lot of bother. Yeah. I don't know the invisible rules because I am from another planet. Michael? We seem to have a great deal in common. May I ask a question? Yes, I'm good at questions. Why have you locked me in the shed? Because of your trousers. Uh, what about my trousers? I watched you go about in the back gardens for three nights now, and you have worn the same yellow trousers for three nights. Well, I... My mum says wearing the same trousers every day is dirty. Well, I do have an explanation. There is only one creature in the universe that never changes its trousers, and that is gnomes. And you are bigger than a normal gnome, therefore you are the chief gnome. I think I'm beginning to see your logic. Are you trying to break out of my dad's shed? No. You are. I can hear you. That's vandalism. Vandalism is very wrong. Michael, nobody disapproves of vandalism more than me. After all, you're speaking to someone who's met the original vandals. <laughs> now there's a group who didn't believe in changing their trousers. You really should let me out, you know. 
You can't keep me in here forever. You can come out when you promise to change my dad back from being a gnome. Michael, that gnome under your bed is many things, but he is not your father. Do you hear me, Michael? He is. He knew my name. The Genoi are very cunning, Michael. They are a silicon-based life form genetically bred for war. They've been equipped with low-level telepathy so they can extract information from the enemy. He would be able to read your mind and learn your name. Do you understand? Well, are you still listening to me? He is not your father. Michael! I suppose you're right. He doesn't sound much like my dad. He is very rude. Wait here. I'll just go and get him. Michael! You haven't unlocked the door! Michael! Oh, thank you, Michael. That shed was distressingly smaller on the inside and I was be... Oh! Hello there. You're not a social worker. Uh, no, I am not. You've got ten seconds to tell me what you're doing in my garden or I'll hit you with this spade. I've told you. About aliens. Yes. Aliens, Mrs. Jeffries. Michael's gnome is in fact one of a number of killing machines made by the Galactic Coalition. It was decided that the gnomes, the Genoi, were too dangerous so they put them all here. The high ozone content of your atmosphere acts as a natural paralyzing agent on the Genoi. By putting them here, they were reasonably certain none would get off the planet and wreak havoc. Oh, yeah, right. But the leader of the Genoi, Glenn Gragan, invented a personal dampening field to counteract the effect. And now, he's returned to Earth to liberate his fellow gnomes. My friend and I have been trying to locate him, and we believe he may now be in your son's possession. Michael doesn't have a gnome. Yes, he does. No, he doesn't. Yes, he does. He bought one of his father's from the DIY store and brought it back here. Oh, no. Doctor? Ah, Perry, over here. Doctor! Good news, Michael has Glengragan. I've convinced him it's not his father and he's bringing it here. <laughs> no, he's not. He is, he told me. Oh, you idiot. Me? Yes, you. <laughs> You're just like Michael. What? Am I right, Perry? Sorry? Your friend, the Doctor, he doesn't see the emotions beneath the surface. He... well, no. Not always. Sometimes. What? Has it not occurred to you, Doctor, that deep down he bought the gnome because he misses his dad? He's solving a mystery and he wants... And he just needs something to help him remember. And has it not occurred to you that he wouldn't want to give it up, even if he suspected it wasn't his father? Oh. No. No, it hasn't. I put him in my rucksack and took him to where he wanted to go, which, if you remember, was the house-proud DIY store. We walked in straight away, but I thought that they always locked the shop at night. Perhaps there is an invisible rule which says that doors opened on Thursday nights. The gnome went to the pond full of bubble wrap and he pulled the bubble wrap off and there was a machine under it. He took a fishing rod from another gnome and started poking away at the machine. I said, what are you doing? Oh, you'll see. I've got some friends I want you to meet. I'm dead keen for the whole world to meet them. Dead keen. <laughs> I do not think you mean what you are saying. 
When people say they have friends they want you to meet on television, they mean something completely horrible. Especially if they laugh at the end like you just did. Is that a fact? And especially when they say dead in that funny way when you did not need to say dead at all. Oh, do they? How interesting! I actually think not saying what you mean is rude, and people should say what they mean at all times. Just shut up, will you? You are irritating. Okay, I'm not your dad at all. I know that. I'm not a gnome either! I'm a killer robot! And this device activates lots of other killer robots. I will liberate them, and together we will leave this planet a smouldering wasteland! Thank you! That wasn't so difficult, was it? Krengragel, it's all over! Put the fishing rod down and step away from the pond! Ah, Doctor! I knew you would show up sooner or later! Sorry you're a bit late, old son! Meet the 13th Jedi Battalion! Michael, come over to me. Get away from the gnomes. No. Michael! No. Leave me alone now. Done now. One quiet. One quiet. Happy place. Michael! Happy place. This is no time for happy place. Doctor, there's too many of them. Try and lead them away from Michael. It's no good. They're guarding the machine. Happy place. Leave, Doctor. Save yourself from the apocalypse while you still can. Come on, Michael! Put it down, huh? Head for the garden furniture. We need something to fight with. You little monster! You snitched on my jet, you little... Where's Michael? Where's he gone, Michael? I know there was noise, and there was shouting, but something in my head told me to be calm. Perhaps it was my dad inside my head. I don't know. It did not roll into a ball and scream. I knew the machine was bringing the gnomes to life. How it was doing it was another mystery, but I knew how to solve the mystery about how to make it stop. So I lit lots of scented candles. And we all got very wet and the machine exploded. And all the gnomes stopped moving about. And even though the doctor was very wet, so now he would finally have to change his trousers, he looked very pleased indeed, and he shook my hand and said, You are a very special boy, Michael. I am not special, because that... I know, because that's an invisible rule. Let me tell you, Michael, there are invisible rules I follow, and invisible rules I do not. And then we heard police cars, and we went home. We had sandwiches and stayed up until long after my bedtime. Then the doctor and Perry with a boy's name had to leave. But I knew the doctor would talk to me before he left because he looked at mum in a funny way and mum looked at him in a funny way. So I sat with the doctor in the back garden and looked at the stars and together we solved the greatest mystery of them all. I know my dad is dead. I understand that. But he went away as well. Dying is bad enough, but why do they go away as well? It doesn't make sense. No. That is what confused me. So, where is he? Just gone? He is in what I consider to be a very special place. Oh, please don't say heaven. Clouds are just evaporated water. I know this for a fact. I was thinking of the past. Well, a lot of people think the past is a sad place. 
but I visit it a lot, and let me tell you, I find it just as exciting as the present and the future. Your father lives there now, and all the moments where he is a living, breathing, loving father are there too, all stored safely, and they will never go away. Can I visit him? I'd like to see him again. Of course you can, Michael. Anyone who can remember 130 gnomes can certainly visit him. Just close your eyes. Can you see him? Yes, yes I can. I can see him. I told you. And you can visit the past just as easily as me because, as we both know, you are a very special boy. I can see him. He is wearing his brown shoes and his old jeans with no knees and his shirt with just do it on it. And there is dirt on his shirt because he has been in the garden and he hasn't shaved that morning because his chin is very spiky and there is a mark on his wrist where his watch used to be and his belt hasn't gone through all the loops on his jeans and he is looking at me and holding his rusty spade and he is smiling at me and he is telling me I solved a great mystery and I am very very special from Big Finish Productions. If you've become accustomed to Hector being Hector... I won't want him to become Hex again. There must be some way of getting him back. We just have to find it, that's all. Revenge of the Swarm. Leave me alone. Get out of my head. What are you? Hey, what are you doing? Locking Hector in his room. What? He's not capable of flying the TARDIS, so something made him program the coordinates. We're a scientific research team. We're instructed to find a living carrier of the plague virus. And I've just given you what you wanted. I am the greatest being the universe has ever known! The sentient virus! We will all die together, and you will cease ever to have existed! You should have recognized the symptoms. Oh, I should never have stepped out of the TARDIS. Contact has been made. Subscribers get more at bigfinish.com.
I'm Nicholas Briggs. I'm the executive producer of Big Finish and the director of Breaking Bubbles and Other Stories. Like almost everything that happens in Big Finish, there are several reasons for this specific format of four times one episodes. There are practical reasons and there are creative reasons. One of the practical reasons was, of course, you know, we do the trilogies and then you're left over with one release, there being 13 a year. And so what to do with that? So we came up with the idea of uh, selecting a specific doctor and doing four one-episode stories with them as a sort of different thing to do. The other reason for it was I mean, there was um, some sort of anniversary or something once, I don't know, and we decided to do one-episode stories celebrating the number 100, for example. And it's very interesting to see how different writers uh, tackle it. I think it requires a very specific kind of creativity to do it. I am Colin Baker. I am old 60, the sixth doctor. Before we go in there, I have to ask you a few questions. One, who are you? Two, where are we? And three, what are we doing? Because it's four separate stories, which we're recording at the same time as we would normally do a two-hour story, it's four half-hour stories, you would think that the, the input of energy and time is the same. And time is the same. But because you're dealing with four completely separate stories the energy you need to give to each one is somehow disproportionate and of course the doctor has a lot more to do in each one i like it when i've got a lot to do all of these stories of course with nicola um, which is lovely because i like working with nicola she was my first companion hello i'm nicola bryant and i play perry Tears, Perry? Oh, you really are like so many Americans prone to inordinate sentimentality. Oh, you're being obnoxious. Thank goodness, back to normal. A little battered and beaten, but as you say, yes, back to my usual self. I really enjoy doing the four single stories. I think it's fun for the listener. I know I love listening to short stories. I love reading them as well. And it does give four very diverse stories, a package that that comes together, and I I just love doing them, actually. Breaking Bubbles was written by a lady called L.M. Miles. It's a sweet little story um, about a deposed empress, played by Gemma Churchill, whose other claim to fame is that, well, she has many claims to fame, I'm sure, but she uh, played a role in that notorious piece of television called Five Doctors in Search of a Job. (laughs) The Five-ish Doctors, I think it was called. And uh, she was the, the fan who pursued Peter off screen at one point. And she's, she's a good friend of uh, Peter and his family. And she was the empress who, having me deposed, was trying to manoeuvre her restoration, um, but was persuaded via the machinations of the Doctor and Perry in particular to actually not cause the death of thousands of people, but um, let things ride and negotiate. And, and that in itself is a very simple little story. But you cleverly told, lots of deception and uh, setting up of false holograms and illusions. And it was, you know, it's, it's a nice little linear story about the doctors succeeding by persuasion mainly, rather than by force or daring do. And as part of a quadrilogy, it filled a nice little slot. 
My name is Gemma Churchill, and in Breaking Bubbles, I am playing Zafira Valtris. Executing me would set an unfortunate precedent. He's my cousin, you see. Oh. One can't be seen to be executing members of the Imperial family. It might give the common people ideas. Zafira is an unusual woman. I had quite a lot of thought about where she should be placed, and I spoke to Nick, who was directing it, and um, I think where we would like her to be placed is somewhere... Well, he did mention estuary, but I don't think she's quite that, but I didn't want her to be too of this planet and too posh. But like all people who are born into royalty, she needs to have that quality which is... It's a birthright, and that is very difficult for someone that's for, for one to actually perform. So it's a very delicate line between being tough and hard, but also knowing that you're powerful. I'm already suffering a temporal sickness. I'm jumping backwards and forwards on my own continuum, trying to work out what's going on with the patient and the bomb and you. The wonderful labyrinthine of Chaos Time, the... A title which approximates to the, the one story I wrote, which was uh, done as a, as a graphic novel, which was called The Age of Chaos. This is the time of chaos jumbled up. And it's jumbled up because it's told in terms of the Doctor's timeline, and the Doctor's timeline has been fragmented by a chronon bomb, which distorts his timeline, but nobody else's. But we hear it through the Doctor's timeline, and therefore he's trying to piece together completely unrelated incidents which eventually form the jigsaw that is this story. It's quite clever. Well, the first thing I did with this script, because there's a very helpful note on the front page, was actually read it in the order that it would have happened in time before reading it in the order that obviously everyone is going to hear it in, which, which was helpful because it made you realise, uh, in a way, the Doctor's perspective um, when it's all jumbled up. And, of course, it's a classic, isn't it, playing with time when you're dealing with a time traveller? It's the story of someone who invents a weapon that they think is going to end conflict. Didn't they think that about the atom bomb? And all it did was start a new, different kind of conflict, which the Doctor is bright enough to know. So when people start using things like that, he tries to stop them. And, uh, thank goodness, he succeeds. Hi, my name's Phil Mulrine. I play Trobe, who's suffering from time sickness. Trobe. Tell me about the time experiments. Don't want to talk to you. Hate you. Get out of here. You are caught in a time loop of accelerated chronology. I want to cure you. Trobe is great fun to play because he goes through uh, this this sickness affects the different ages that you hear him at. So uh, I get to be Trobe at 14 and Trobe at 20 and Trobe at 40 and Trobe at 60, 70, 80. So that's, that's been really good fun just trying to, trying to you know work out how to change my voice to be the, the different ages. Lovely performance from Phil Mulrine as a patient suffering from time sickness ages from childhood through to geriatricity in the blink of an eye and he handled the 20, 40, 60, 80 bit as a geriatric myself I like to think I wasn't quite as elderly as he portrayed but uh, <laughs> this is audio after all you can't stick beards on so he did a brilliant job and then an eye for murder which is a whodunit is a bit of a Agatha Christie or Poirot with uh, Janet Hempfrey, who's an actress that I've known. Uh, I've never worked with, but I've known her off and on for years. 
play in the Principal Women's College where somebody has come up with an invention that might turn the course of the Second World War, a cloak of invisibility. And uh, at the time when the, the, the Nazis um, were, would be quite keen on getting their hands on something like that. My name's Janet Henfrey and I'm playing Dr Petherbridge, who is the principal of a women's college. You have a story of your own, Dr Petherbridge. Yes, indeed. Rather a sordid one. Oh? I must stress that I'm telling you this in the strictest confidence. Of course. I trust you implicitly. But I'm afraid I don't know your companion. What? Who, me? Oh, I assure you, ma'am, my lips are sealed. I'll hold you to that. Well, it's 1939. It was still very difficult for women to get uh, a college education. I've been privileged enough to to have had one myself a very long time ago. And uh, I think these women that run educational establishments for women have had a hard fight to get there. And they care passionately about their young protégés and the fact that they should have every chance in, in life to get where they want to get. Janet Henfrey, who plays uh, Petherbridge in Eye for Murder, she's the real deal, isn't she? I mean, you know, we've, we've seen her in many, many things, including Doctor Who, and uh, it was just lovely to have her in. She was a delight. I, I, I think I hardly had to say anything to her at all. She just came in, did it, delivered, perfect. I'm Nev Fountain, and I'm writer of The Curious Instant of the Doctor in the Night Time. I know Nev Fountain quite well, because uh, he is Nicola Bryant's other half. And uh, I've done a story of his before, The Piscon Paradox, which I thought was very clever and very funny. So I was delighted when this curious incident of the Doctor in the Nighttime came along, because uh, clearly there is a, a very strong connection with the, the famous play about the dog in the nighttime. And I think the subject matter is one that is very well handled by Nev. The background was I'd given uh, Nicola a Christmas present of going to see A Curious Instant of the Dog in the Nighttime. And we went to see it. And in the second half of the play, I thought, A Curious Instant with a Doctor in the Nighttime. That's a good title. And by the time we'd walked out of the foyer, I, I was thinking, yes, that's good. good. I like that idea. And I approached Big Finish and they said, sounds good for a half an hour. It's very clever writing, though, the way Nev, you know, does blatantly ludicrous things. But actually... There are real people involved in it, and I, I, li I liked that balance. I thought it really came out well in the performing of it. A lovely cast with uh, Johnny, who was in... He was the understudy in the play, and Nev saw him perform, so Nev suggested him for the part of Michael. My name is Johnny Gibbon. I'm playing Michael. You can't keep me in here forever. You can come out when you promise to change my dad back from being a gnome. Michael, that gnome under your bed is many things... But he is not your father. Do you hear me, Michael? He is. He knew my name. I was playing the alternate Christopher in The Curious Incident of the Dog in the Nighttime when it first transferred into the Apollo. And it was the best fun I have ever had in a play. It was just the most rewarding to understand more about, because I had no idea about the spectrum, autism, Asperger's, and... So we had great fun on that, and that was a lot of hard work. And I think Nev either must have seen me on uh, the Monday or Thursday or Saturday, and then 
just thought, well, get him in to do this. <laughs> it does interesting to throw up that there are similarities between that young lad and the Doctor himself, who does see things very much according to his own rules, which is a characteristic, I think, of those who struggle to integrate with society because of their condition. Well, the Doctor has a condition of his own, which is Time Lord arrogance, we might call it, or Time Lordness, something like that. So there's some interesting little interactions between the boy, played wonderfully by Johnny Gibbon, and the Doctor, which kind of highlight that, well, the Doctor does actually say, we have an awful lot in common. <laughs> For the play, there was a lot of stuff I had to dull down in that respect with the voice. And so I thought that with regards to this, it's even more important because that's all you've got listening to it. So I think it was um, quite interesting in, in terms of how much you, you, you know, you play it. Well, I knew he'd have to help the Doctor save the Earth in some way. I didn't want to do it in some kind of cheesy fashion like the boy was so special that he could see uh, aliens that no one else could. I didn't want to give him a special power. So I just wanted to become a sequence of events where his capacity to remember things and to catalogue things actually became a catalyst to the story. And I wanted to make it very domestic and very personal to the boy. So uh, I came up with, with animated gnomes um, because I thought they, be, they were everywhere and they're appalling little creatures and I thought they have to be on this planet for a reason. People can't buy them. So I think there must be a, a, a mind probe thing that, that persuades people to buy these horrid little things and put them in their gardens. Why did you say that? Why did I say what specifically? You want me to be specific? Yes. Specifically? Everything! We could have persuaded her, but as usual, you come out with all that stuff about aliens and the planet being in imminent danger. I never said imminent. But I confess I do like the word imminent and I may use it next time. It's difficult when you you feel like somebody's actually looked at a script and thought, oh, we need more Perry, so I just get another five questions or something. <laughs> and it is true probably that 80% of what I say is usually a question asking the doctor and 10% is about running and shouting. And So in a way, I thought what was interesting from my approach to Perry in these is I actually had to mature her a little bit for a couple of the episodes because she'd swapped roles. But it's interesting because it makes you think about when can she just be a teenager travelling and when does she need to be a, a girl of more experience. So uh, it's quite an interesting little graph of a journey for me doing Perry with these four stories. The four stories hang together very well as a foursome. So I think people will enjoy listening to them. When I've heard other people's um, short stories, I love them in the car. If you're not doing a two-hour journey, I always save my Doctor Who stories for two-hour journeys when I know, or a one-hour each-way journey. So I can go somewhere and hear the first two episodes and then do whatever I'm doing and come back and listen to the next two. But there are some journeys that aren't particularly conducive to that, and I do an awful lot of my audio listening in cars. So these four half-hours are brilliant for that. <laughs> 